Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, your body, and your movement. This conversation is far-reaching. We talked for a couple hours. We're going to break it up in two parts, get into how your muscles, the way you move them, they act as a endocrine organ. They release hormones and various different proteins and things that affect the way that you think, the way that you feel. So your exercise or postural patterns or lack of movement, sleeping patterns, all that stuff directly affects your thoughts, affects the way your body produces its chemistry. So we get into that and much more in this conversation. I know you guys are going to really enjoy it. If you guys have interest in learning a bit more on how to create some more hip mobility in your life, I know that is a big thing for many folks, especially if you're sitting on chairs for a while, your hips will begin to freeze over like Shackleton's voyage. You're going to get stiff. If you are sitting a lot, you will get stiff. And the muscles in and around your iliopsoas, muscles around your quads and all those places will pull you into a hunched over position and when you try to do a lunge you try to do some yoga you try to pick something up and throw your back out because you're rigidly stuck in precarious positions all that stuff is avoidable and we break down exactly how to avoid that in the absolutely free masterclass that we created for you it's about 30 minutes long and it is goes into everything that you got to know on how to open up those hips it gets into also some fundamental breathing practices and even how you can use your eyes effectively to calm your nervous system or also stimulate your nervous system. We have another great podcast coming up with Dr. Andrew Huberman. We'll go deeper into that, but check out the masterclass if you have interest in opening up those hips and calming your nervous system. So that can be found at alignpodcast.com slash masterclass, alignpodcast.com slash masterclass. It's also can be found at my Instagram page, Line podcast, A-L-I-G-M podcast, and it's in the bio. The link is right there on the bottom. I hope you guys devour it. All right, here we go. Back to the scheduled programming with my homies from Mind Pump, Sal, Justin, and Adam, some of the absolute best trainers in the world, and um, they've had access to some of the best minds to be able to pick from them and bring it to this conversation here today. So I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for reviews on iTunes. That is very helpful, very supportive. If you like this thing, share it with your friends and uh, let the algorithmic gods of Apple or Spotify or whatever know that you're listening and drop a little five-star review. Okay, here we go. Back to the program. Bow. It's an interesting dance that we have with our egos, right? I remember when we first had that psychologist on on the show, Sal, that you brought. Oh, yeah. And she assessed all of us. Yeah, I love and, her. And she really broke down like narcissism and that there's there's a healthy dose of it. It's a positive version. Right. And then there's obviously an, an unhealthy version of it. And so I think that in our space with our peers, as you get a larger audience and more people paying attention to you, there's that fine line that you have to constantly dance. And one of the things that I appreciate about these guys so much that I think we all have in common is as that grows for us, 
instead of seeking it more or letting ourselves fall into it, we actually want to kind of run away from it. We'd prefer to become more detached and not feed into it as much because we want to stay grounded. Yeah. There's a quote or an idea that I heard from some basketball coach. and The, the key to be the best player is to know enough about the game to play the game well, but not so much to realize that the game doesn't matter. I feel like oh wow! I feel like a mm. lot of this whole experience with That's making like books or podcasts or social media or any of that stuff, you can be so deeply in the tunnel of the game. All that matters is is growth and more and numbers and quantities. Yeah, and then gotta be certain back. things can happen in the world, such as what's happening right now, which I think has been immensely healthy for my own mind. Where I kind of drawn back, and I'm like, I don't even know what the hell matters. Yeah, which I think is perfectly healthy. It doesn't always feel great because a nice, healthy, inflated ego and puffed out chest, temporarily, it's right, like right. cocaine. Like while you're doing it, you're like, this is this is yeah. cool. Oh, well, then like, the effects mm -hmm. with long term use, it's like, oh, that was problematic. Right. <laughs> but, but, there's another quote like, a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. Mm. You know, and I think that's uh, I think that's super true. Back to the narcissist testing that we did or whatever. It was part of this psychological profile that we had done on us on air, which was kind of cool. She said, you have to have a, a certain dose of narcissism in order to go out and put yourself out there, right? So if you didn't think that you had something valuable and that maybe people would find what you have to say interesting, you would never put yourself out there in that way. You wouldn't go on media. You wouldn't promote yourself that way. But when it becomes unhealthy, you can no longer take criticism. You are the greatest. You're not open to growth, and you can become very addicting. And like anything that you get addicted to, it can become very, very destructive. And the worst thing that I see, we've met many influencers, right, people with lots of followers in their space or whatever. And one thing that really struck me about some of these people is how conflicted and how much in pain they seem to be because the persona that they have created mm -hmm. and that they're loved for is not their real Persona. They're leading with their imposter and not uh, their authentic self. And it creates this turmoil within them. There was one person, I won't say their name, but one person in particular who presents themselves at this, as a super outgoing, you know, talks to lots of people and girls and whatever, and this is part of their brand. But in real life, they're one of the most shy, introverted people. And he says he feels conflicting. It doesn't feel good because people love him, but they don't love him. They love the person that he becomes. And um, I don't think that's a good place to be. So when people ask about social media and how do I build my business and what's important, I say, well, you know, this isn't going to guarantee success or failure, but try to be as real as possible because if you do get popular, you at least won't be in hell. You'll be popular for being who you are and not for being someone you're not. Yeah. Well, it's just not sustainable, I think is the big thing. No way. There's some quote around Another I, don't, I don't remember what it is exactly <laughs> yeah. just throw it out there what is what is the, this has nothing to do with what i was gonna say i just want to get to the bottom of what the idea was it's like you can fool all of the people sometimes and some of the people all the time or something but like not that. all of the but people all, all the time i feel like but, we need a whole wall of quotes to, yeah. to refer to <laughs> yeah you can i have one in my house that's do you? what i do yeah that's oh, why nice. i'm so quotatious you know you can pick yeah. your friends and you can pick your nose but you can't pick your friends nose. i think yeah. it's because that's i'm good one too. i'm suspicious of my own ideas I think yeah. that's healthy. You just got to be careful, though. When, checking 
yourself. You just got to be careful because sometimes the quote sounds good out of context, and, to, and then you realize where it really came from, like a, Mar- a Marxism quote that you you posted not too long ago. I oh, still, that, that was so I'm good. still in agreement. Like right, I think right. it's a, it's one of those things. There's a, an individual, like you could say Adolf Hitler. Maybe yeah. he had a handful oh, of of course ideas be like, nice to people. Of course Adolf he had Hitler. some powerful. Or, shit. There's or, no way that man tr- got to or Trump or yeah. like any people. It's like if you just we're very binary. We're very dualistic. It's yeah. like you're, you're either in, good you're in or bad. Good or bad. Yes. Mm. I got it on my cardboard sign. I put it out. Oh. It's, you know, it's even it's, more so it's these days. Eight syllables and the boom. That's my point. Yeah. It's in a tweet, 280 characters, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like, that's my point. And yeah, that's yeah. the way that we communicate because we're trained by the, the medium. And the medium is the massage, is an interesting book all about this. Well, well we, we have a, so we evolved obviously in tight communities. So we knew everybody and we evolved thinking of people along those lines. But then when you have media now and the fact that we can know about a lot of people that we don't know, we're, it's a little bit counter to how we evolved. So if I hear bad news and I'm in a tribe, right? So we're in a tribe of 15 or 30 people, which was most of human history. And I hear bad news, it's bad news because it's affecting me. Like there's a lion over there, killed three people. Yeah. Oh shit, I need to worry about that, right? So we still have that inside of us. But now I read something about something happening you know, 100, 150 miles away or 1,000 miles away or 10,000 miles away. And it still has that effect on me. Like I'm going to read about a story about a kid that got kidnapped and it's really terrible. Now I'm going to be really afraid that my kids are, they did this, uh, this great study. It's one of my favorites to, to, to talk about. You remember the movie Jaws? Of course. Right. Great movie, right? When Jaws came out, they were doing polls and people genuinely thought, and this is because of Jaws, news outlets reported rare shark attacks, and it became like people would want to read about them, right, because of Jaws. The perception was that shark attacks were going through the roof. Yeah. The reality is shark attacks have been about the same all the time, but people were all of a sudden very afraid of getting attacked by a shark when you're far more likely to die by slipping in the shower and, and hitting your head, for example. The same thing goes for the perception of safety. You ask anybody that's like Doug's generation or older, and you say something like, is it more dangerous or less dangerous now for kids to be outside by themselves? Oh, way safer than when I was a kid. Statistically, not true. Hmm. Statistically, the kidnappings and assault on children is far higher decades ago than it is today. Today is far safer, but we perceive it as being so much more dangerous. And I'll take it back to our expertise, which is health and fitness. The way that we eat doesn't match the way that we evolved, and so we run into a lot of problems. The way that we move doesn't match the way that we evolved, so we run into a lot of problems. We created a society where our desire is to move less because uh, that made sense a long time ago. Conserve energy, don't injure yourself. Today doesn't make sense to continue pushing that because eventually we'll be like the movie Wally. You ever watch Wally? No. A cartoon where they, the all, the robot guy. Yeah, and the people are like they're basically this, on like these rascal scooters on a one of the spaceships. It's like basically a cruise ship. Yeah, yeah and they're and just that's all they do. That's all they do is drink out of Slurpees, and they don't move, so they're like super <laughs> obese. Does it exist? So it's it's always a, it's a bad idea to bring up Hitler within like six minutes of any podcast. Wow, that's that's <laughs> way wow. too many times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if there is an instance with a human being where it actually is necessary and makes complete sense to destroy any idea or devalue any idea that ever possibly came out of that whole entire 
person's timeline mm. because of some evil shit they they did along mm. the way. Is that a reasonable thing to think? No, actually, I think you I think you have to be careful because somebody like Hitler, who I think is we could all agree in here, that was generally a pretty bad person. Yes, mm. rough childhood. If you great salesman. <laughs> yeah, if you talk about ideas that he had or quotes that he had that may be valid, what ends up happening? I think the fear is, I should say that you end up validating them in some way. And then people start to look at the other ideas and say, well, uh, these other ideas might be okay. And I think he meant it this way. You're like cracking the door. And not that way. And I think that's the fear. You have to kind of be careful. But I can see how that also goes against reason. People are extremely complex. I mean, you have heroes of ours, for example. You might worship a celebrity or a past figure that did something really great. Right. And maybe you learn later on that they also, you know, do terrible things. Were philanderers or cheated on their wife or one time they abused someone or whatever. But I thought that they were all good. I'm like, no, they're human. They're complex. So they probably aren't all good. And somebody might not be all bad. Although I do think, and historically, there were, maybe are some characters that fit in that category. But for the most part, it doesn't. I mean, I think I'm a good person. I don't think I'm all good. I guarantee you there's parts of me that are not good either. Yeah. I think charged subjects oftentimes have deeply held meanings that are actually even more potent than the things that culture deems permissible for you to explore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that was like we were talking about the history of cannabis before. Oh, yeah. It's a really interesting example. We've had this institutionalized guilt and shame and all of these stereotypes of the idea that a person that would vaporize this plant and mm -hmm. maybe go for a hike or exercise or meditate or you know, they have glaucoma or like any of the issues, eating disorder. And so that's been put into this bucket that it almost makes it be, you know, if you have a brand, you're like, oh, can I talk about this mm. plant? You know, because it, there's all this stigma around it. Adam and I used to talk about this all the time. You know, he worked in the cannabis industry. I have a very unique experience with cannabis, having helped somebody who fought cancer with it and having it helped me with some health issues in the past. So I had a different perception. I remember when him and I would talk about it and we'd be like, you know, it's funny, you know, imagine you had a girlfriend, right? And you met their parents for the first time and then you introduce yourself and they're like, hey, what do you do for a living, Sal? And they say, oh, I have a vineyard. I make wine. Oh my God, what a great guy. He makes wine. Yeah, right? yeah. Now what if I said, oh, I, I, I grow marijuana plants and I, I, I provide that for all the dispensaries, you know? And, oh my gosh, she's dating a... Yeah. A guy drug grows, dealer, yeah. drug weed. Addict. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. I've I've been cursed. It's been problematic for me that that my typical tendency is if I'm told not to think a thing, my immediate <laughs> reaction is to go deeper into it, which mm -hmm. I think is very common. That's actually not a common thing. It's a, it's a trained skill that you've learned to apply that I think is very important. There's a really good book I talked about on the show a, a while back called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. Oh, yeah. A brilliant man who wrote- Kahneman? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Have you read that? Yeah. 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 And yeah. so that, that skill is you, you, you've trained yourself to switch over to the second part of the brain where you think logically about something. And we're not wired that way. 
We're actually wired to take in information and react. That's the faster part of the brain. Shortcuts. Yeah, it's more Mm -hmm. advantageous for us. And it's important. It's important that we have that skill set to survive because if you stopped and you tried to unpack every single moment of your life, you would never get anywhere in your life. So there's value to that, that first part of the brain. But it's also very important to know when you need to switch over to the other one and be like, wait a second, just because everyone's saying this or just because this is my initial reaction or they're saying, don't do this, I'm going to go deeper into it and think logically. So I think more people are easily persuaded by the the first part of their brain that is just a quick reaction. And it's a practice that more of us, including myself, have to constantly be trying to think like, okay, is this something that I'm just going to take at face value and react? (laughs) Or should I go deeper into this and look more into it, even if the majority is saying otherwise? Yeah. You guys have heard the idea that our conscious mind is able to perceive something like 40 bits of information and then our unconscious mind is something like 40 million bits of information. Mm -hmm. And so we're always to, to kind of bring it onto a subject in relation to like body and movement and fitness and all that. But we're continually doing that from a body language perspective. Right. Some interesting research that I included in my book about when you take a, a mugger and show them a bunch of different pictures of various different people, you'd think the common tendency would be, and they actually did this, they went into prisons and people that had violent crimes. Uh, you'd think the common tendency would be just like, okay, I mug this small, vulnerable, defenseless, vulnerable person. chick, yeah. probably. You know, and it's like, no, no, no the highest likelihood of trying to trying to, to, to mug, to steal from them, to be a parasite and attach onto them would be the person that their movement doesn't seem integrated. So if they're kind of, it doesn't seem like they're going in a straight line. It doesn't seem like they're well oriented. doesn't seem like they're oh, interesting. You know, stacked and strong. It doesn't seem like they know where they are. Mm. So if they're looking around and there's like any semblance of disorientation or disorganization with that person, then all of a sudden, the, the parasites of culture will start to, to grab on because oh, wow. it's, it's an easy target. It's like finding prey. Yeah. It's finding prey. And so we're continually doing that with our, I think, our, our 40 million bits of information that's, that's streaming through our minds. I think we're continually doing that in every instance. Every time you have an interaction with any person, you are noticing the location of their eyes or eyebrows. You're noticing mm-hmm. the, the style in which they breathe or don't breathe. You're noticing the positioning of their shoulders. You're noticing the position of their hips, of their feet. You know, and so we're having this plethora of information. And then you have your 40 bits that's like thinking about checking your Instagram notifications. Yeah. But meanwhile, you have this mammalian reptilian center that's just gathering all of that information. And by going through things like starting to pay attention to how the hell you move in daily life, I think you can start creating successes in your world and you don't even know what's going on. It's just like, oh, when I come into the room, people kind of are like more magnetized. Yeah, yeah. You know, or when I come into the room like this, people are more like, oh, that guy's a loser. Wow. Or we the, should steal from him. Or the math of that is so fascinating to me, right? Like the, mm-hmm. what your brain is having to calculate to put that all together. Now, yeah. so what a cool conversation because of this stuff. I'm I'm into psychology. You're more on the movement side, so it's interesting to see how they merge. Because of you are so read in this department, right? Yeah. And you enjoy learning about it so much. You walked in, you know, we all said hi and greet each other. Do you have a tendency to scan the room and read each one of our postures right away? Or does that just subconsciously happen for you? Well, ideally you'd get to a point with any skill that you'd be unconsciously competent. You guys are familiar with that probably. Like mm-hmm. you yep. start off consciously incompetent, ideally, mm-hmm. and then you, you know, works your way Four up stages. Till, till, until eventually you get to the point where 
you're just you just naturally you know like MJ. You just you know you do something with the ball. You just see the scenario. I'm not at all like MJ with anything, including body <laughs> language. But nonetheless, he gets that point. He's never thinking about what he's right, doing. Right. There's a whole slew of different books that I'd recommend for reading body language. My book has a lot of stuff in there, but if I'm reading a specific book about the thing, I will notice all that stuff. I personally haven't read a specific book about that thing for like six months. Yeah. Uh, so it's that's disengaged. Now I'm thinking about more, you know, like Russia and conspiracy theories. And <laughs> oh, no. No. oh, please. <laughs> Please, oh, please, God. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, reptiles do run the world. You know, oh, yeah. themselves. Aliens are coming next. Yeah. No, yeah, this no, is all happening. We're, we're, you know, you guys were talking about fast and slow thinking. One of the best ways uh, that i found to slow my thinking down, there's two ways. One is to debate and discuss because in order to organize your thoughts enough to explain yourself well and then be able to listen, because you also, in order to debate, you have to listen, right? Listen to the other person. It allows you to work things out. So I love thinking like this. I love talking to people. I love debating people. Some people might say, oh, you just like to argue. The reality is that it helps me think, and I can think things through. The other way is to write. Mm-hmm. When you write things down, you have to slow down and put things down. And that's why therapy utilizes writing and speaking. Those two tools are very powerful to slow the thought process down and to work things out. It's literally what you're doing. Right oh, now. I have another exercise for you, and that is to is to always question the things you feel most strongly about. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the most challenging because when you start to unpack like how the brain is operating with the fast and the slow part, much of the things that you've decided that this is my truth, it's just because you've had a collection of things that have confirmed your bias, yep. and so you feel passionately about it. So whenever I catch myself in a debate or an argument or a conversation where I'm getting uh, emotional about it or reacting or feel strongly about it, like I'm already defending myself before you finish your sentence. Those are the things that I go back and go really deep in on because it's like, okay, why do I feel so passionate about I'm right in this situation? And I think that's really challenging for us because you've already had enough things in your life that have happened that have confirmed that bias that it's going to be really hard for you to change your mind unless you're open to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why it's one of the reasons why I love fitness so much. I love it for me, but I loved it more for when I trained other people for that particular reason because as a trainer, you know, I, I trained people for over 20 years and I really wanted to help people. I know you do the same, Aaron, when you, when you work with people. Your concern is you want to make sure this person does the best. You want to set them up to be able to do the best for themselves on their own, well beyond, maybe forever, right, when you don't see them anymore. So if you're constantly working towards that, you end up questioning things as you go through the process. You have to, because I'll work with this many people who my techniques and my recommendations work great with, but then I run into somebody that they just don't. And if I really want to help them, I can't be dogmatic. I can't. It's impossible. I have to question things. And so it it forces you to grow. And fitness is such a great way to do it because it's unassuming and it's not threatening. You know what I mean? People don't go into fitness thinking, they're going to experience tremendous personal growth in all things. They don't think that. They think, I'm going to go get ripped, nice six-pack, I'm going to look sexy or whatever. But you stay at it long enough, and you learn a lot about yourself. You also learn how to fail. You learn how to take criticism. You learn that pain isn't always bad, and struggle is many times good. But the growth that comes from fitness is phenomenal. Nobody talks about it, but that, I think, is the biggest benefit of it. Fitness also 
makes the human that's that's doing the fitness more malleable to new ideas. Totally. And so we can talk about anything and I'll just like steer it back to how it relates to the mind body connection because yeah. that's like where I'm, I'm most comfortable beyond that. I just, I don't know, you know, so a couple things, one in relation to arguments, that's kind of fascinating. You guys can just bounce off. This as, as if it feels interesting when we're communicating with each other. Typically, I don't know a lot about the argument at hand because I'm just confused what the hell's happening in the world. But what I can see is I can see body language. And the way that people communicate. And that's why you see like a Martin Luther King giving a speech compared to like some present day politician, because I don't mm. want to be, you know, biased in any direction. He goes off of the speech and speaks through his heart. And it's, you can see it in you his feel body. It. And it's like, oh, it's like, you viscerally feel that experience because you're feeling him, you know? And so when we're communicating to each other, if you're a person, that is, say, chronically stuck in some, you know, hyperlordotic spine, or you have you've got the for, the uh, forward head posture, you got rolled forward shoulders, mm-hmm. you got valgus collapsed knees. All of those patterns. I'm intentionally using unnecessary anatomical terminology because there's a direct link in the way that people think, feel, and communicate. Totally based off of that, those anatomical terms. Totally. And so, an interesting example of that is a person that goes into a a shopping mall. Is another reference from the book. When they are pushing a cart, uh, so says research with, you know, specific, specific subjects. So, you know, I don't think anything's a law. Um, but when a person is pushing a cart, so they're in a more upright position, shoulders are back, you know, and they're also pushing the cart away from them, they will end up being less inclined to get sugary bullshit. Mm. And when a person is clutching a basket, all of a sudden puts them into that medial rotated spine, puts them into that clawing kind of flexors contracting with the, with the hand, they will end up being more likely to buy fascinating. Fast, yeah. To buy so shop with, shop with shopping buy. carts, not baskets. And the similar thing <laughs> happens, similar thing happens for people that have, have storefronts of some sort. If you pull the door open, that puts you into the more inclined towards, okay, I'm bringing in, if I'm pushing the door away, I'm more inclined to say, I'm okay, I'm pushing, I'm, I'm starting the conversation with push away. Yeah. And so when I move into that, all of those little subtle, again, this is those, that 40 million bits, every subtle little action throughout the day starts to inform the way that we perceive the room, ourselves, this conversation. And so if you were a person that is stuck in that, you know, all the terms, forward head posture and having, you know, the hunchback spine, all that stuff, perhaps you'd have a higher inclination of being more defensive or maybe feeling like you're under attack and you are, you know, you're already defeated versus the person that's able, like before they go into a conversation, they wiggle out their shoulders. Maybe they hang from a bar and they kind of, maybe they do like a little dance and kind of open themselves up a little bit. Maybe they write in cursive, which is, you know, shown to have all sorts of great effects as well, because you're going through that fluid movement. Mm. They will go into that conversation much more fluid, much more open, much more receptive, much less judgmental, much less mm. defensive. I always feel like a Jedi opening the automatic doors. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm ready to I express my power. I need something humorous after that. You I know, appreciate that. You know what? You want, good, perfect. You want to know an area I would love for you to read and learn about, Aaron, because this is an area that you have a lot of interest in and expertise in, yeah. in terms of how movement affects mood and thoughts and vice versa, how your thoughts and mood affect movement. And this was a very fascinating point that was made in a podcast that we did a while ago. 
Look into religious practices. You know, I grew up Catholic, right? So you go to church, the Catholic church, and there's all this standing, sitting, kneeling, moving, all this ritualistic movement. And we interviewed Bishop Barron, who is a Catholic bishop. And one of the questions I had for him was, what's up with that? Like, why kneel on the ground to pray? Why do all these different things? Yeah. And he said, I thought it was very wise, it's how you integrate the body. Yeah. All the movement is how you integrate the body, which allows you to, in, in their words, integrate the soul. And being a fitness expert, I thought, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. There's a lot of wisdom in spiritual practices and in the culture of movement that they have. And every single one of them has different movements and practices that they do that are very characteristic of that particular religion. That's the value. People were tapping into that before they knew anything. It also links you into, so it does a handful of things and more than what I've picked up. But another one is it moving in synchrony with any group of people, i.e. like a military marching. Oh, right. You know, so if you see the march and everyone's legs go at the same time or you go to a Taibo class or some kind of aerobic class mm. or any of that stuff, the reason that those cultures or sometimes cults get so big and powerful is because you're extending the the organism beyond the individual. Mm. And so you start to become in sync with other just by witnessing your movement happen in tandem. And so when you go into that that church, what you're doing is you're connecting with beyond your lonely, isolated, individualistic Group self, four. and you're going into something bigger than you. Well, you're quite literally, from a neurological and emotional perspective, becoming the group because we're all moving together. And then beyond that, I think if you get more spiritual about it, the group is a part of the grander community, is a part of the country, is a part of the world, mm -hmm. it's a part of everything. And then eventually you have this where you pop out of I, you know, and you go into something that's bigger than just this skin bag. And by moving in synchrony, it creates the potential to feel like you're starting to almost like merge with something bigger than your individual skin bag. I used to have a wellness facility and in there I had rooms that people would rent and there was this massage therapist who worked there and rented the space for a long time and she was exceptional. She was very, very good at what she did. When I first got the wellness facility, I was at least open enough to bring different modalities in and respect them, but I still was extremely ignorant to what they did. She would say things to me like, People store emotions in their body. Mm. And I remember thinking, that's so silly. Like, it's in your brain. What are you talking about? It's not in your body. Mm. And then she would talk more about it and how she would find a tight area in a person's body and she would work through it, release it, and the person would have a memory that was stored within them or a feeling that they hadn't processed and they would cry on the table or they would laugh. And I experienced some stuff like that when she would work on me. What's going on there? And I do believe now that, that that emotions can be stored in the body in the sense that you create a pattern. That pattern may be, may be protecting you or whatever from this particular thought. And until you fix that pattern- I've heard that with fascia. You don't process the emotion. What, what are your thoughts on that? So that would be subject of potential book two, because that's I think that's like a topic that a person could spend their whole entire life digging into and still not completely understand it. But the lens that I take from the way that emotions and such are stored in the body is less of a, you know, you have anger in your liver and you have mother issues in your kidney and mm. like very specific in that way. And more coming back to very nuts and bolts, masculine, mechanical. If a person is scared, 
How are they scared? Right. How are they physically scared? And how's their body? Everybody, everybody yeah. knows what that looks like. I don't need to describe. Your shoulders go up. Your jaw might clench. Mm-hmm. Maybe your wrist clench. You go into like a fight, flight type response. Mm-hmm. Or you could go into a freeze response, which is even deeper down the chain. So every day you are continually aggregating various different patterns based off of your perception of the way that you interact with the world. You know, so you have a certain like, you could call it like an identity of self. That's something that you, these are tangential points. When you first come out into the world as a baby, you are your mom, Mm. you know, so the umbilical cord gets cut, but you're like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm still mom, Mm -hmm. you know? So if I'm hungry, mom's hungry. You know, if I'm thirsty, mom's thirsty. Like you just, there's no separation. Sure. And then eventually you come into a point, which I think that's what they, they, they allude to being like the terrible twos where you're starting to get that rip. You're like, oh, I'm separate. You're asserting yourself in that way too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then from that point forward, perhaps you know, a little before or after, you're starting to structure this this story, this narrative of who you believe you are. You know, and so zero to seven, you're predominantly in like a theta state. It starts alpha delta for the first two years, and then you go into this theta, which is essentially like a hypnotic state. You know, and you're just gathering information like a sponge everywhere you go. You're developing these belief systems of who you are that impacts the way that you move in your body. You know, so if you are a person that's like, man, I feel great and I feel loved. I feel part of something bigger than myself. You know, so people that are part of religions or married, you know, they end up having longer lifelines Mm -hmm. and they end up, you know, being a little bit happier and all that. It's like, wow, man, I just feel oh man, I feel good. I feel like I feel in my body. I feel at home in myself. That person's probably going to have more balanced blood sugar and blood pressure and probably less tension being held in their body. Less chronic pain, right? Less chronic pain, all that stuff. Yeah. And then there's perhaps another person, obviously there's like tens of thousands of different kind of types throughout this, but on the other scale be somebody that perhaps they had some big pivotal traumatic moment, for example, that all of a sudden they got the signal. And maybe it was like before that age seven time frame where they're just kind of gathering and they got the signal that the world is, is not safe. The floor could fall at any time. I need to bulk up. I need to muscle up. I need to get strong and protected and show superficially that I'm, I'm good enough. I'm loved and all those things. Uh, maybe my shoulders are chronically stuck up in this position where it feels like my, my shoulders are kind of creeping up to my ears. Maybe my fists are chronically tight. Maybe I have you know, this TMJ and my jaws are, uh, you know, and you could isolate that and look at it like more like Western scalpel type, type lens and go and isolate and say, oh, you just got TMJ. You know, you just have some tension up here. We're going to do some MFR, whatever. We'll release that stuff. In the process, whatever tool you utilize in order to start to open up that body, in order to create meaningful long-term change, you're going to actually start tinkering into that person's identity structure. You know, and so if you bring a person that's in a place of, I've been held and tense and ready to fight, and I have this physical expression of that, and you start to creep in and start to change some of those those toggles and pulleys that all of a sudden the person gets up and their their shoulders drop mm. and they're breathing through their their diaphragm as opposed to up into their clavicles and they're, they're they feel like their feet are on the ground you better believe that that person will start to interact with their relationships differently i see this with rolfing body work like maybe i've seen it lots and lots of times historically working with people oh i, I remember hearing mm. uh, especially female clients would say the following that them getting stronger in the gym made them feel stronger and more confident yep. in the real world. And, it, and I mean, they're not like way stronger. They may be 10 pounds on something, but the experience of strength and struggle and grinding through a squat or a lift yep. 
made them feel just generally stronger and more confident yep. in everyday experience. So we've only known Aaron as Aaron of a line, and you've already we were already this guy like that was into all this. So was there a process for you where this really uh, you know like a pivotal moment where you started to see this in yourself and you started to change? behaviors and movement and then how did it impact you was that was that a process was it an overnight thing what was it like for you for that transition i think i've, I've talked about this before i mentioned in the first chapter of the book my um dad he's done very well now but growing up uh he got really obsessed with with crack cocaine and he was like pimping women and he'd come home and have like bullet holes in the car and it was like wow very interesting time did I mention that before? No, I don't no. think you've mentioned. It. No, sure. I knew you had a rougher childhood, yeah. and I and I feel even more like a bitch talking about my rough childhood when you talk about <laughs> things like that because uh, no, mine doesn't seem so bad I was anymore. Fine. I was fine overall, <laughs> you know. But I think that that created this this stimulus of sorts of feeling like the world's not safe. The floor could fall out from on you at any point. Um, you know, going into much more of um, kind of just like clinging in general. You know, feeling like I, I would always have like savings of money and I was just like always planning for a rainy day, you know, and I think that in tandem with um, being obsessed with bodybuilding, be obsessed with packing on as much muscle as I possibly could, all because I wanted to show that I was strong enough. I think there was a big thing of like being enough and that would get into probably sensations of like, oh, why did daddy leave me? Oh, because I'm not enough. Right, right. You know, so I think as a young person, it's you're you're so narcissistic. Everything's like kind of about you, right? You know, and so now with social media, everybody's kind of narcissistic. But but, <laughs> but I think growing up, it's like okay, dad's just on his trip. You know, he had his own childhood trauma and all of this stuff, and you know, I place that on me. So there's kind of this sense of like moving away, um, and then that kind of led to just doing everything to kind of create senses of validation, and so that that going into Don personal training and then eventually going to like rolfing school and massage school and studying psychology and psychedelics, I think have been impactful mm -hmm. for sure of kind of unbinding some, some different nodes in my brain and kind of like pulling the map out and saying, okay, like, where are we here? You know, and then coming back and kind of folding the map back up and putting it back in. Yeah, so I think it's been an evolution of different events mixed with the environmental conditions of the world's not safe. And, you know, now here we are, you know, talking about it. No, I, I definitely think that we we are obviously a product of our, our childhood and even as, as older, mature adults still dealing with many of these insecurities from childhood. Do you have a particular one that tends to resurface in your life that you're constantly having to address because of how you grew up? You know, I obviously, to some degree, crave validation or I wouldn't you know, put images of myself doing exercises on Instagram, you know, and it's, mm. you can say it's, oh, it's just a business. I need to feed myself. But nonetheless, like I, I chose that route of look at me, I can help you. I can be your savior in a sense. You could see, right, you right. keep on drawing back and giving. I'm not saying that that is why I do anything, but you could certainly kind of toss that dart at the board and be like, how does that feel? Is there something to right, that right. of like how you got to that point? So people that have a lot of wealth, people that have a lot of followers on the internet, whatever. I think, you know, a lot of that could be drawn back to their seeking some form of validation from the outside world. This was a conversation that Katrina and I had literally last night, and we were kind of going back and forth uh, with our own insecurities that we see. And one of the things I said to her that, that I've kind of come full circle on it, because I think that there is a positive side to them also. Mm -hmm. If you use to fuel yourself to grow and be a better person, and then there's a, a very fine line of not 
allowing it to rear its head. And do you agree with that? Or do you, do you think that yeah. like, you know, any sort of motivation from insecurity is, is bad. And I'll give you an example, like, so give people context of what we were talking about last night. So I've been fascinated with uh, real estate in, since I was in my early 20s. And, you know, I've read, I read several books in my 20s, even more so now as I've gotten older. And Katrina's family, there was times where they were, you know, refinancing their house or trying to make decisions. And I felt like I had the answers for them and nobody asked me. And it bothered me. And so I told Katrina, I said, here, I'm trying to figure out why does that bother me? And then I also have noticed that there's patterns like this in my life where if uh, people don't think that I'm smart enough in an area, yeah. it's also motivated me to go and learn and be smarter and be better at that. So I get that attention that they recognize like, oh shit, this dude knows his stuff in that area. And I think a lot of that, although fueled by insecurity, has also driven me to success. So where is the fine line of allowing it to, to drive you to be better, but then not letting it control you and consume you to make bad decisions. Do you think about that? Totally, yeah. I think you come back to Ram Dass or like Alan Watts or any like the spiritual people you know, coming into the witness part of yourself. Like the more often that you can tap into the witness part of yourself, the less you are just being kind of tossed around, like I imagine mm -hmm. like a rag doll in a dog's mouth, just kind of like getting wiggled around by that person loves me. That person doesn't like me. You, like you become the stock market essentially. So any relatively decent investor. You're just reactive to yeah, everything. You, you wouldn't be like, dude, don't even look at it today. Like let's check in on this in 10 years. But that takes a savvy investor to be able to kind of give you that education of like, let's just kind of go more in the overview and be able to witness as opposed to being completely stuck on each individual person's reaction. To I you. love thinking of it like that. I think that, and this, you just validated that, is that the real important thing is the awareness piece, is to know that. Like, I didn't react. Like, it's not like uh, her mom didn't ask me advice and then I was a dick or I was just, or I tried to force my information on it. Yeah. I just observed that it made me feel a certain way and then motivated me to want to learn or do something more in that area. So I'm aware that there's work to be done inside and I have an insecurity there, but I'm also aware enough to not allow it to change my mood or just react to it. Yeah. So I don't totally think that uh, being motivated by some of these things are all negative. And I like what you just said. And I, I think that's true. Like if you are, are more of a witness of it and paying attention versus just uh, like the stock market reacting to you know, at oh, things all the time. It's your, your situation and your context can make you a much better person. Challenge is what makes you grow. There was a wrestler who had no legs. I forgot his name. Did Black very, guy lives in LA? I think so. And he did very, very well for himself. And he talks about how if he wasn't born in that situation, he probably wouldn't have been as great as he was. But it drove him to grow and be this incredible person. There's another person who's another disabled individual who climbed, uh, I think it was Mount Everest. And he said the same thing. I, I don't know if I would have done this had I not had this particular challenge. So I think you're presented with your challenges and it's up to you how you, you use them. Yeah. Does it break you? Does it crush you? Or does it make you a better person? Um, so in that way, your mindset makes all the difference. This is a gift versus I'm cursed. That's all in your perception. You were talking about how you feel and your emotions and how that affects your body. Can you reverse engineer that in the sense that, does it go both ways? In other words, yeah. the way I feel on the inside affects how I look on the outside. Can I change my body and then affect how I feel on the inside? 
Yeah. Well, so Zion, we, we pulled up that I've actually got to train jujitsu with Zion. No, wow. Yes. That was the first time getting to roll with a amputee. Yeah. His legs are gone from like the mm -hmm. femur down. Yeah. So it's like chicken and the egg. Your perception of yourself impacts the way that you carry your movement. And then right back to the other side, you can move yourself into feeling a certain way. You know, so you could look at that from like the, the postural perspectives is, is one lens. But you could even say just like your muscular system, it's like an endocrine organ. You know, so it's releasing hormones and proteins and myokines. And, you know, irisin is like the exercise hormone that's helpful with thermoregulation and helpful with burning fat. And, you know, they compare exercise to, to being as effective or potentially more effective to antidepressants. That's beyond my scope of even having an opinion, you know, but it literally informs the way that you think, the way that you feel. Like anybody knows, listening to this, certainly, that if you're feeling kind of shitty and you go do a workout with some friends, afterward you're like, what happened? Oh, 100%. Like, what was that? 100%. And you're like, well, it was a lot of things, man. It was community. I'm connected to something bigger than myself. It was exercising and flexing and pumping this endocrine organ that we call muscle slash massaging all of the rest of your organs. It was uh, moving yourself through postural patterns that if you get into like research from Amy Cuddy is an interesting example, which is very contentious. Um, you know, the Harvard researcher, she was the one that studied people going into like the, the power woman position. Oh, power, power, power pose and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mentioned that in the book as well as the contention around it. She was suggesting with the power poses that she had various different samples of people. They had one group of people would go into a hunched over position that I had described previously. And then they would do saliva samples measuring cortisol, stress hormone, and testosterone. And so testosterone is associated with cognitive function, energy levels, you know, feeling strong, confident, Confidence. all that stuff. Yeah. And then cortisol is like, you're feeling, you're wigging out, you're getting ready to fight, flight, all those. And so what she found with that, that was that consistently when a person be an upright, strong, what I would call aligned position, then they end up actually increasing their testosterone levels and decreasing their cortisol levels. And then the inverse would happen when a person was in a more of a, a hunched over kind of position, which is essentially is submissive. Yeah. Which where this gets into book two as well. And then I, I get into book one, but I want to go deeper into it. Depression is the number one leading cause of disability worldwide presently. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's alluding to Marshall McLuhan medium is the, the message is like a big idea from him. So when we are in this room right now, or school would be an even better example. When you go to school, you think that your kids are being educated by the contents that are in the books. Oh, I'm learning math. I'm learning Abe Lincoln. I'm learning poetry. Mm -hmm. What you are actually really truly being formed by is the positions that you are assuming while you're in that desk, the manner in which you're being educated by, you know, now it's the screens, you know, so that screen education, that is the medium that is actually the, 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 the overlying overwhelming message that is forming you. Mm -hmm. So we think it's just that the contents of what we're getting from the medium, but in in fact, it's the medium itself. So when you are a person that's getting all this information and you're inside of, say you're inside of a boxed room, maybe all the walls are just white, you know, and maybe you're getting these artificial blue lights. Maybe it's, you know, thermoregulated air conditioned air. It's always at this one set temperature. Maybe you learn that, okay, I need to raise my hand and ask politely if I got to go pee pee. Maybe like all of these different things. No, no moralistic judgment, wrong, right, good, bad, you know, but the fact that you're learning some math along the way 
I think is very small potatoes in comparison to the actual, the constitution of the mold that you exist in. Oh, I totally agree. Because if you think about this way to simplify, right, you have a feeling within you that presents itself in your body. But then the way your body is positioned also sends feedback back to the inside of you, maybe your brain. And it can easily become a feedback loop. No different than when you have a microphone and a speaker. You take the mic, you connect to the speaker, bring the mic close to the speaker, you get that super loud sound because this speaker is picking up the sound from the microphone, but then projecting it and then picking it up. And it becomes this positive feedback loop that obviously, you know, is very offensive and and loud. Hmm. If you feel afraid or sad and your body forms itself in the way that that exemplifies fear and sadness, then you also perceive the position that shows the inside of you, your brain and the body that I'm scared or that I'm sad. And then you feel it more and your body does it more and you get this positive feedback loop. And one of the best things you can do with any loop is you have to stop it, interrupt disrupt it. it. Yeah, you you to have disrupt to disrupt it. the loop. Here's an easy thing you can do. If you're feeling like a bit out of control with negative feelings or whatever, and it may feel silly, it may seem like this is well, whatever. What do you mean? And I don't want to do that. And what's funny about feedback loops is you want to stay in one, which is interesting. Just try this. Go stand or move in a way that is different than the way you feel. So I am feeling sad and I'm feeling unmotivated. I'm going to stand tall and work out. You know, as much as I don't want to, I'm going to go do this. What will happen is your your brain will receive the signal that I know we feel this way, but here's what we're getting from the outside. This person's standing in a way that tells us that they're that we should probably feel a little bit better. We should probably feel a little bit more motivated. There's a study with uh, that. This was an interesting one where people held a pencil in their teeth. Yeah, smiling. Yeah, which which mimics smiling, and because of that, people felt like they were happier. The inverse happens if you put a a, a golf tee in your eyebrows, so you go resting bitch face. Mm, yeah, 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 fascinating, right? And when you see a person with resting bitch face, quite often they're kind of aggravated more than a person that kind of moves around all jubilant. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's not just like a coincidence. So there's a, there's another guy that I've had on my podcast actually called Paul Ekman. He's like one of the most cited psychologists in the world. No, I'm the most. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. Yeah. He's, he's interesting. I don't think he liked me. I think our conversation, <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I was like, Paul, I respect you a lot, but I think you hate me. <laughs> so, so anyways, um, he was a fella that studied various different facial expressions around the world. And his perspective went against Darwin's perspective that you would learn certain facial expressions based off of your your cultural influence. And then mimic them. Yeah. Mm. And so that is true with like gang signs and like waving. Like waving isn't a thing that just everybody just does. That's like, I have no weapons. You know, that's like something that you're learning and showing. You know, now we do elbow bump because of, you know, because of things. Yeah, exactly. That's not like just a natural thing. Hugging probably is quite natural, though, is my Mm. guess. But anyways, facial expressions, though, he mapped out something like 10,000 different specific facial expressions that had specific meanings to feeling angry, sad, scared, happy, and all of the, Mm -hmm. the different things. And each subtle little change of any of the muscles on your face are indicative of a very specific meaning to the outside world, but also to yourself. You know, and so you see those very, very like overt examples of like a smile or the frown that causes a thing. Well, now extrapolate that out times 10,000 and you have like, wow, like I'm always painting a story with my face. 
a la freaking Jim Carrey. Mm. Why is he so successful? He can contort his face into anything. Mm-hmm. He's like a, like a savant with playing the instrument of facial expression, which invokes a sensation much like, if not exactly like, a person playing a saxophone. Mm. And then you're giving it to yourself. You're giving it to yourself and others, just like when you're playing the sax. I want to take a moment and thank a vital mineral to all of our bodies and the mineral referred to as magnesium. Magnesium is the only supplement that I will actually go out of my way to purchase with my own money. Reason being, it is missing in modern day soil. Ever since the 1950s or so, we have been deplete of this vital mineral, which is helpful with over 150 vital reactions in the body, including fat metabolism, also muscle soreness. If you have any issues with tight muscles, you have issues with falling asleep, magnesium is one of the first things that I will recommend people start incorporating into their lives without a doubt. Other things that can be helpful is breath work, other things can be helpful is looking at light in your environment. So if you're having blue lights and things of the sort, get those things out of there. At least two hours before you go to bed, I'd say even longer if you can, maybe start using candles, get some salt lamps, but magnesium as well is going to be a really helpful supplement. I wouldn't even call it a supplement. It's just a vital mineral that happens to not exist in modern monocropped soil. So get yourself a little bit of magnesium through our sponsor, Bio Optimizer, a great company. I emphatically trust them. I really like their supplements and we've been working together for a while. Uh, They have the Mag Breakthrough, which is a great version of magnesium because it includes all seven different forms of magnesium. So magnesium, when you get certain supplements, it might just have one or two or three. This stuff has all of it, which is a big deal. It's all wrapped up into one simple to swallow capsule. Pop that little mofo in before you go to bed. I use them every night and um, they have been really supportive in my sleeping patterns. So check them out. You can get yourself 10% off of Mag Breakthrough by going to Mag Breakthrough, M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash Align Podcast. Magbreakthrough.com slash Align Podcast. Really important stuff. Like I said, if you want your muscles to feel good, if you want to burn fat, if you want to have good energy levels in your life, get that stuff in your world, magbreakthrough.com slash line podcast, 10% off. Back to the show. Bam. What are some best practices then that we can give or what you would give to clients without going down the rabbit hole, right? Because all of us have trained many, many clients. And I know that there's just plethora of information that I've learned over decades of training and nutrition and movement. And I have to be very careful on how much of that I, I put on a client if I really want them to put into practice and to see change and, and continue to grow in this area. You can get into cold therapy. You can get into meditation, affirmations, uh, posture, uh, mobility. There's so many things. That yeah, somebody, where do you start? Yeah, where do you start? And are there are small things that you give clients to start with this? and make this a habit, make it become unconscious and then move to this? Do you have things like that? Yeah, that's what the line method is. So breaking it down, I was kind of crying earlier about how like the publishers forced to be called five movement principles for you know, stronger body and stress-proof life and all the words. And I'm like, I hate this. Like, I don't <laughs> like, I think this is like, it's, it's so much more than that, but because people need something to grab onto, right, you need right. like a good handle. 
we do have a, a the second section of the book breaks down five fundamental principles that every person ought to have in their daily experience if they really give a dang about driving their body well. And so the first thing that I would recommend to almost every client would be one walk. Like you just got to walk more. You know, anytime that you have the opportunity to like go get groceries, it's like, dude, your family at some point probably made a pilgrimage across a continent. <laughs> like for you to get to this point so you can sit on your ass right. and order food off of your phone yeah. and wait for it to be delivered to your face. So if you have the opportunity, make it be a fun thing to, you know, get some reusable bags or a backpack and like, cool, I didn't get to hike in any mountains this year, but I did a bunch of little mini pilgrimages to the grocery store. While I was doing that, I got sun. Maybe I took my shirt off. I exposed my whole body to the sun. Maybe I took my sunglasses off. So I'm getting that, you know, that full spectrum of light going to my eyes, which is helpful with like, you know, all sorts of things. It helps your body production of neurochemistry. It literally makes you a happier person. Right. Circadian rhythm, all kinds of stuff. All the stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that would be one thing. Another thing that I recommend to everybody is just spending a little bit of time on the ground each day. You know, I recommend 30 minutes. You know, so if you're a person that just eats breakfast on the ground, get mm. some big cushions and you maybe get like a low coffee table. Maybe you go outside in some grass and you're getting sun, you're stacking variables. You got to stack variables. You know, when you're living in an environment where you're very kind of like medicinal, isolated supplement form of fitness and, and life and all of the mm -hmm. things, you're not living life. <laughs> like you're, you're living this broken narrative of the way you're supposed to do it. If you just take your ass outside during a nice day, get down on the ground, eat some food that's maybe helpful for your body, maybe do it with community, you know, all of those different things. It's like, whoa, it's this whole storm of positive variables all stacked together. So that's just one thing. Make it comfortable, you know, put your ground territory like near a window or something like that. Get a really comfy rug. Maybe mm. get some foam rollers down there. Maybe put a yoga mat down on the ground someplace. So it, it welcomes because you mm. become your environment. Marshall McLuhan, meeting his message. You know, so while I'm sitting in the chair here, I'm treating the chair kind of like as though we were sitting around a fire and, you know, I'm sitting on a rock or on a ground. In this case, I'm sitting up on a cushion. My legs are crossed. But the big thing with spending time on the ground, one, you end up in the book, we call them resting postures of repose, which I borrowed from Muscles and Meridians by Philip Beach. Uh, but so these, these resting postures of repose are these natural tuning mechanisms that our bodies have had since the, the beginning of our evolution. You've naturally squatted all the way down to the ground, then you kneel a little bit, then you might reach your arms up overhead for a little bit to grab something. All of those positions, in this case, just specifically spend time on the ground, lying down on your back, lying down on your side. You know, when you're in those positions, you might notice, oh man, like my hip feels a little like sensitive, it feels like beef jerky on that side you're massaging your beef jerky hip by being on the ground as opposed to floating in space all day, just getting clogged up like a dam. You know, and then when you're going that, you're also taking your hips through a full range of motion. So now you're opening and expanding and contracting those pelvic floor muscles. You're, you literally are a closed hydraulic system that needs to be pumped with regularity. If you are, you will be a healthy hydraulic system. If you are not, then you will be a stuck up, dammed up body. Dams are where festering and disease and, and things of the sort manifest. If the body is well circulated, then the body heals. When the body has obstruction, there's a Andrew Taylor Still quote, who's the founder of osteopathy, says, harmony dwells where obstructions do not exist. Mm. So anywhere in your body that there is obstruction, you, that is the beginnings of disease. Anywhere where you can 
open that obstruction, allow new fluid in the form of lymphatic fluid and blood and, you know, all the things to circulate and move your body. It starts to heal. Imagine that a lot of people, they may have various different issues ranging from whatever the ailment may be. Maybe say they go to Peru, you know, and they do ayahuasca and they, you know, it's like, wow, like I got healed of my thing after being in Peru for a month. It was the ayahuasca, you know, it was the shaman. They had, they cut a chicken head off and you know, they, they, these crystals and like all this stuff. It's like, well, what else happened on that trip? You were in Peru. <laughs> you were, what else happened on that trip? Like yeah. you, you probably, you got in a different bed, maybe it was lower down the ground. Maybe you, you changed, you, you were forced to change your identity structure because now you're in a new place. People don't even speak the same language. You can't be in that same pattern of get up, drink too much coffee, get in the car, sit in that same 90 degree position, get up, stumble into the next place, all revved up on coffee. And I'm already kind of in like this fight flight response, sit in that same position in the office, get up, walk to the other room, sit in the same position, getting back in the car, then go to the gym, do the same position, sit on some seated row machine, get up, get back in the car, same position, go home, eat dinner in the same position, then sit finally, relax and have some Netflix on the couch in the same fucking position. You know, you go to another place and all of a sudden your body gets like, whoa, everything starts to kind of change and shift. You're starting to perfuse new fluid into all these places by changing your physical environment. It's crazy. We're talking about how important this is to fight off chronic pain and and have uh, about the body. But there's also the side of mental and relationship health. This was part of actually the conversation that Katrina and I talked about last night too, that we hacked into a long time ago that speaks to your point. We make it a point to disrupt our daily life and go somewhere out of this environment because of that exact reason. Because I feel the same thing for relationship health. It's very easy to get in the minutia of going through your day of laundry, clean, walk the dogs, uh, go to work. And and it's just this cycle that you can- We schedule sex on Tuesday. Right, right. You start to to lose- I love Tuesday. You start to lose sight of- Ta-ta Tuesday. Your your relationship and the growth of it and the, the health of it. And so one of the best things that we found is to always schedule a, a trip away from home, even if we're just going up an hour and a half to the beach and we stay two or three nights at, at a hotel room or whatever on the beach, is just to interrupt that same pattern that we're always in. And I think it contributes to a lot of the success our relationship has. I think that's parallel mm-hmm. to what you're talking about well, with the body. Chinese and, and Ayurvedic medicine talk a lot about congestion and blocks of energy. Years ago, I had an acupuncturist that uh, was in my wellness facility and she would explain how acupuncture works, but through Chinese medicine terminology. And so I'd say, you know, it's interesting. I've seen the studies, the Western studies on acupuncture, and it does have pain relieving qualities. They've proven it. That's why insurance now pays for acupuncture. How does it work? And she said, oh, well, the needles open up energy flows from chi and this and that. And she's talking through Chinese medicine terminology. And I thought to myself, okay, well, here's what I know about Western medicine. I know we have referred pain. I know that oftentimes when you go to the doctor and you hear you hurt somewhere, they know that you might have an issue with your kidney or your heart. For example, your left arm. Everybody knows, knows that, right? You get left arm pain if you're getting a heart attack. Yeah. Maybe it's affecting the nerves. But really the point is it doesn't matter how we explain it. It's been observed. It's been observed by, by many, many people. And this congestion, this blocking thing that you're talking about, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, talk a lot about it. And here's some more interesting stuff about getting on the ground. They're constantly trying to find one way, one test that can help predict 
all-cause mortality, right? Because that would be beautiful. That'd be great for for insurance purposes, for medicine purposes. We it, and it's hard to find it. Is it blood pressure? Is it cholesterol? Is it triglycerides? Is it fasting insulin? Is it all? But now they're starting to stumble upon it. And there's there's one that they found, which was, can you get up off the ground? Yeah. If we put you on the ground and don't help you, can you get up all by yourself? That is a greater predictor of all-cause mortality than any other singular measurement that we have. The second closest would be your grip strength. Grip test, yeah. Just how strong you are with your hand. How interesting is that? One of the third movement principles in the book is, is hang with regularity each day. That's another one of those things that it could be hypothesized or argued that we are our ancestors were these arboreal creatures in Africa that started off in trees. Whether that's true or not, you know, I don't I don't really care. Uh, what you do know is that human hands are really good at reaching up over your head, grabbing onto trees or things of the sort and pulling yourself up. Well, look at the shoulder structure with the scapula. Yeah, but it's it, longer, we so are, you're able to do it. We, we evolved to be able to reach up above our head, hang, and to throw things. Correct. And if Otherwise, we would have totally different shoulders. Yep. So if you hear that study about how you know grip strength is a higher indicator of cardiovascular disease than, than blood pressure, then you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to go get a, you know, one of those dynamometers and just start squeezing the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, you're doing the supplement bullshit form of life and fitness. Mm-hmm. Do shit that naturally engages that whole chain of muscles mm-hmm. that would be indicative of a strong grip strength. Play jujitsu, grab a lapel, you know, grab, go tr- climb a tree with your kids. Like why are kids such good teachers? Because they're 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 more honest with their biology. So they don't they don't know they're not supposed to. They don't know they don't have they're stories yet. It. They don't have narrative yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and so at some point you were taught you were misinformed that it's it's not mature to play. What a great lesson! <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's what a great <laughs> lesson. Oh, and I've that, always <laughs> been such a big advocate of rotation, and, and like that's something I've just noticed right away. Just being in the gym environment, how little that's incorporated in anybody's programming. Doesn't matter if a personal trainer is having their client go through exercises, they're not really incorporating rotation as much as, and this is a vital component to how our body moves. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's funny, Aaron, uh, again, having trained people for so long, towards the end of my career is when I really learned how to be really effective. Mm. And one of the most effective things I ever did for a client was integrate movement into their everyday ritualistic daily life. It was so effective at getting people to move more. So instead of doing the do 30 minutes of cardio every morning on your stationary bike, it was, well, you already eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so that's already a ritual. Mm-hmm. Walk 10 minutes after each one. Yeah. The consistency was amazing. Here's the thing. Studies also show it's more effective. When they compare a one-hour cardio session to three 20-minute sessions, the three 20-minute sessions burn more body fat, improve stamina better, and have physiological benefits that are, that, uh, are better than the singular, the single time of spending on a piece of cardio equipment. We notice this with strength. You know, um, you go to the gym for an hour and you want to just get stronger. What if instead of, you know, doing 15 pull-ups, three sets of that in your back workout, you had a pull-up bar in your house and every time you walked by it, you did one pull-up. That's it. You know what's funny? The studies support that. And then try it out, by the way. The strongest I've ever been was when I practiced like that rather than doing the structured one hour or two hour workout. It's literally integrating these things into your life. So that's why I love so much what you said about eating breakfast on the ground. Because sometimes I'm even guilty of this. When I hear you say, get on the ground, I immediately think, I'm going to schedule 30 minutes 
of just being on the ground. Right? Instinctually, right? Oh, I got to do this. I got to put this in my routine. <laughs> then you said eat breakfast on the ground. And I'm like, I'm already eating breakfast. Yeah. I might as well get on the ground. What That's about it. watching TV on the ground? I watch TV every night for 30 minutes or an hour, you know, hanging out with my wife. Why don't I just sit on the ground yeah. instead of on the couch? From a consistency standpoint, people are far more likely to, to be consistent when it's integrated in that way versus the, you know, make sure you schedule your cardio, make sure you schedule your weight training session, make sure you schedule your mobility session. It's like, well, what if you just, when you brushed your teeth, mm-hmm. you you got down into a squat or you were barefoot and did some calf raises, or what if you had a pull-up bar in your house and it's next to the TV and whenever you're watching TV, you kind of hang a little bit and play on the pull-up bar. Way more effective. Yeah. Well, they, you, you alluded to the research around the physiological part. There's research to support the behavioral side, that it's more likely to be consistent if you do pair it with totally. another ritual. So, yeah. I mean, that, it's funny. You, I, I love that you started with the walking thing, too, because we've talked uh, probably at nauseum on the show about how we used to scoff at that in our early years as a trainer when a client would say like, oh, I walk every day. I'd right. be like, walking. You're not, you're not working out. Yeah, you're not right. training. You're not exercising. Yeah, you know, show me burpees, bitch. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> and then you look, you, you look at the way I talk to a client full circle, and that is actually the very first thing that I address yeah. is just let's move and let's pair it with something you're already doing. Let's break down your day and let's see a way that we can integrate that into your lifestyle because I know that 20 minutes of that for the rest of your life every time after dinner is far more valuable than a six-month run of doing one-hour cardio every single day. Totally, and here's a big part of it too, Aaron. Because we're constantly trying to get people to adopt some of these habits and to do them, first we have to get them to accept them. So you have to sell the idea. So I'm going to sell this for you right now, right? Uh, Years ago... A device hit the fitness scene, and it was a big part of the the gym that I started my career in, 24-hour fitness. It was called a body bug. You put it on, and it was relatively accurate at calculating how many calories you burned. And it did through movement and skin temperature, and there was, it was a very complicated device. It was actually groundbreaking, and it was relatively accurate. You put it on, and you could you know, get into your computer and look up and be like, oh, I burned 2,500 calories today. I burned 3,000 calories today or whatever. This was mind-blowing for me. I'd have clients that would come in and work out three days a week with me or in two days a week on their own, five days a week. They'd put on the body bug and we would look at their calories. I'd pull it up on the computer and I'd be like, oh man, what did you do on Saturday and Sunday? You burned like 30% more calories on Saturday and Sunday. Did you work out? Like I thought you only worked out five days a week. Oh, I was, I was gardening and then I washed the car. Oh, that's when I went to the mall with my friends and we were shopping. Yep. And I remember like it melted my brain because I'm like, Holy cow, five days a week, you're in here working out for an hour, but then you go to work and do nothing all day long and you burned way more calories. So here's how I sell what we're talking about. You just want to get lean, do this anyway, incorporate it into your everyday life anyway, even if you don't care about all the other stuff that Aaron's talking about and what I'm talking about. If you want to burn fat effectively, the most effective way to do it is to incorporate in, incorporate it into your daily life, into small doses, into the rituals that you already have. It's far more effective than trying to do scheduled calorie burn workouts. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what the intention of making this thing called the Align Method, which again, I wanted to call it Align because I have resistance towards dogma. And so as soon as something's called a method, I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> when the publisher's like, no, bitch, like it's a method. <laughs> yeah. We're selling a method. I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, but that was the whole thing is being able to be somewhat of a Trojan horse and be able to slip into people's lives without feeling as though we are 
adding something new. Totally. What I created the book for was essentially to give people the lens to be able to examine the day so that they can make literally every moment an opportunity because you've got the know-how to do it. Beyond that, whether you want to or not, it's up to you. I don't really Dude, care. I'm, I'm going to bring it all down mm-hmm. to the current situation, okay? This is why I love home gyms so much. So uh, a couple of years ago, I invested in a home gym. I have a garage gym, basic setup, but everything you need, right? Barbell, dumbbell, cage, you know, bands, all that stuff, right? And there was a weekend that was coming up and my wife and I, like, we don't really have anything scheduled this weekend. I said, you know, I remember reading these Soviet studies on Olympic weightlifters and how when they'd work out all day, they got these phenomenal results. I said, I'm going to give this a shot. So what I'm going to do is every other hour, I'm going to go out to the garage. I'll pick three exercises. My goal is going to be strength. So I'm going to do like a row, a bench press, and a overhead press or something like that, right? And I'd go out and I'd do six reps, three sets each, and it was moderate intensity. Not intense, not super easy, but nothing crazy. And I'll do that every other hour. And the strength gains I got from a single session and how I felt blew me away. So I'm going to bring it now to the, to the current situation, current climate. A lot of people are at home. They can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. Here's a great opportunity to do... Instead of your 60-minute workout, why don't you do three 20-minute workouts or six 10-minute workouts throughout the day? Schedule them throughout the day. First of all, you're going to feel better because you're going to get those good feelings from movement throughout the whole day. It's like an IV drip of a feel-good chemical rather than a single shot of it one time during the day. And on top of it, you will notice that your body will respond a little bit better. It's crazy, but it's 100% true. And watch how that bleeds into every other aspect of your life. Your communication with your friends, your business that you're doing, like the production that you get done. It's amazing. It seems like there's not a necessity to keep on confirming the point that consistent movement matters, but Another person that I've I've had on the podcast called Joan Vernicos. She she's worked with NASA for like the last forty years. I don't think she liked me either. Actually, I think, <laughs> I think you're so I think you're so likable though. What's what are you doing, bro? I think there seems to be a consistent trend with when I do podcasts over the internet uh, remotely, yeah. and if it's with a baby boomer. I think there's been a consistent trend where I'm like, I, I think that person kind of hated me yeah. afterwards. <laughs> I think it's something, maybe I'm arrogant. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but that's what I've noticed. You're polarizing. You're but I love hippies. her. But nonetheless, I like her and I like her books. And one of the things that she pointed out, she was studying the health of astronauts in space without gravity. And what mm-hmm. she found was that the astronauts that would do small bits, like little titrates, like you said, like drips of fitness throughout the day, they would age significantly slower, typically versus the ones that would do like the CrossFit blowout workout in space for three hours and just really doing it. And then the rest of the day just kind of float in mm-hmm. space, you know, and work with instruments. So the people that would do that, they would go through literally this rapid aging process where their bones would become less dense and their muscles would mm-hmm. atrophy and cognitive CrossFit doesn't would even apply. work in space. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Boom. Oh, that's a quote. That's, that's funny. But so what's what's really interesting with that is it's like the same analogy that Sal that, that you were referencing, I've referenced before describing as like you wouldn't drink all of your water first thing in the morning no. or three days a week. You know, so you wouldn't say, okay, cool, I want to have a gallon of water a day, whatever you want to have. But you don't smash out two gallons on Tuesday and then another two gallons on Thursday. It's sips. You know, and so those systems are literally congruent. They're working with each other. You drink water, you eat food, and then you move it through your body. 
You know, so that all of those systems are integrated and they're all based off of continual movement. You know, and so when if you start to look at things like that, like, okay, cool, while I'm having this conversation, maybe we could do a walking meeting. So throughout the day, like, where can I start to fill without, how can I just make my day more efficient, better, more productive, more happy, and not lose any of the, the progress that we were doing or lose any of the productivity? You know, and so if you go for a, a walking meeting with you your actually people, get more productive. you get more productive. Absolutely. And you start thinking outside of the box. And so if what you need is your employees or yourself to be more of like a, a Scantron type thinker, you know, you have the information or you just got to jot it down. Studies show that sitting in that, you know, sitting on the chair or I would recommend being on the ground and just being focused in and getting it done, you can access that information quite fine, mm. even more effectively. But if you want to start thinking outside or divergently thinking, then you need to diverge your body out of that same stuck, focused, convergent position. I don't know if convergent and divergent exactly work in that as far as like describing movement of the body. But when you move the body in a way that's not just the standard mold that we get when we're sitting in yeah, chairs all day long being cogs in a wheel, when you go outside of that, you know, Steve Jobs, he had walking meetings with everybody. You know, and so it's like you start thinking of things like, man, what if we made these computers different? Mm -hmm. I have all of this intrinsic information that's already in my brain, you know, and the way that I've been formed is such that I can kind of treat myself like a catalog and just go in and sit and go through the catalog. But if I start to move a little bit differently, then I start bucking against the system. And then I start becoming somewhat of like a revolutionary. But it could potentially start from actually the way that I move my body because as I move my body, I'm moving my mind. Yeah, there's many systems of adaptation of the body that react and, and adapt better when it's small doses and frequent. The way your skin tans is a good example. Going outside and getting just right. absolutely hammered by the sun isn't going to give you a great tan like going out and getting doses of it uh, throughout the day. The way that we learn, it's better to, rather than doing one eight-hour class and trying to learn everything, doing you know eight one-hour classes throughout the week is probably going to be more effective. Yeah. And the way you build muscle. The way that we designed our MAPS programs, for example, is how we've observed that frequency just works better for most people. I identified this with blue-collar workers in my family who didn't work out, but you know, my, my mechanic uncle had muscular forearms and my mail carrier aunt had great-looking calves. Everything else looked out of shape. I couldn't figure out what was going on. It's because of that frequent stimulation. So we've injected that even into the workouts that we designed where we're throwing in these frequency builders because it works. And even from a superficial build muscle, burn body fat, these frequent levels of stimulation, these small doses, they get your body to get in shape more effectively. So it's something that we often don't talk about. I know fitness tends to be designed around hard, intense, singular sessions and then rest. And I know bodybuilding was like, hammer your biceps on Monday and then wait till next Monday to do it again. It doesn't work nearly as well for people to do it that way. Instead of doing 20 sets of Monday for your biceps, why don't you do five sets four days a week? Yeah, and see what happens. And start looking at your fitness, which I always do fitness in quotations because I think it's kind of a funny word. You're fit for whatever you do. You know, if you're sitting on a computer, you know, hammering out tweets all day. That's how you're going to be you're, fit for you're that. You're fit for that. You'd be better at that than a person that's climbing trees and stuff. You know, so first define what your goals are. And then from there, if you have a vision, then you can define what the best approach or, or route is. Yeah. That's What's method four? Oh, hinging from the hips. Okay, oh, that's, that's a really important. big one. Yeah, so, so, so Speak really to that. Leveraging leverage. Give me a lever and I can move the world. Oh, who said that? 
Archimedes lever. Yeah. There you go. I've got all these levers on my body. I've never been taught to take advantage of any of them. So that's a big thing is understanding if you've ever done any kind of martial arts, you can understand that the difference between my hips being just half an inch this way or that way. Oh, huge difference. Is all the difference in the world because you've, you've granted yourself the power of leverage. So as you are moving through the world, you can do certain things. You can make it so literally your whole entire day is, is like an opportunity to make yourself better. Like I truly a million percent believe that. And one of those things is when you say you pick something up off of the ground, maybe you're chopping vegetables, maybe doing anything, you can start to play with those basic mechanics that you would learn. I'm sure you guys teach in your maps program. I'm sure if anybody's ever had a trainer or read a muscle and fitness, they'll talk about hinging those hips. So nice long neutral spine and driving the hips backwards. As you're doing that, uh, you're literally, you're starting to be able to activate all of the, the powers of the hips. Mm. If you don't do that, then you're going to be outsourcing more of that energy into the knees and into the quads and into thoracic spine and all these places like that's not that you're not doing it right. You're trying to, uh, you know, lift your car up and you Shortcut. got the lever thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, dude, who gave you a three inch lever? <laughs> it's like, I have a six foot lever in the garage. Right. Like, do you want me to grab that for you? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, oh no, I got, I got this thing. And you're like, you are so ineffective at picking your baby up off of the ground. So what are some simple best practices? I mean, I could think of just simply, you already touched on getting on the ground, just you being down in a squat. I love to talk about squat and scroll, right? Practicing if I'm going to get on my phone and I'm going to go on Instagram or whatever okay. to drop down into a full deep squat. I mean, we're, you're practicing the hinge there. With working with clients specifically, I give you the mechanics. I give you a few basic examples like, okay, here's how you do it. Yeah. Now, what I'm really interested in is, can you start to be curious about wow. making this happen in your daily life? Got what can you what do you do with creative it? with your movement? Yeah, anytime you pick something up, do you, you, yep. you know, hip hinge? Or you whatever. know exactly how to do it. Whether you do it or not, totally up to you. Do you know how to do it? Right. Most people would say, I don't know how to do it. Right. And if you really look, if we got a thousand people in here and everybody did a squat, I mean, all four of us would be like, oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah. Majority. You know, bad. It, all bad. Yeah. Oh, it's one of the fundamental things you have to teach as a trainer. It's mm -hmm. the foundation. Yeah, yeah, bend here, not here. Bend here. And it's yeah. like, well, my, they can't so see our assessment. And so it's like, it's, of course it is. You know, and so it's like, why was that not in your assessment as a eight-year-old? You know, because why we have that, we've designed a world where you don't yeah, do that. You don't you do, lose it. You don't do that. You lose that. Mm -hmm. And then you start blaming your body for failing you. And then you start seeking out to heal this system that it's inherently healing if you give it the proper fundamental raw materials, nuts and bolts, schematics of how the freak to move, mm. how to eat, how to be in nature occasionally. Maybe you can't be in nature. I got to be in this office all day. Bring some nature into your office. You know, maybe open the window and let that full spectrum of light come through. Maybe bring some plants in there. If you're having pain in your body, it's been shown that people who have access, I know you guys are familiar with this, if they have access to looking out a window or even seeing a painting with nature, yeah. they'll have less necessity for painkillers. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Uh -huh. if, you give them the, that weird? if you give them the power to choose how the, the dosage of painkillers, they will choose less because you've empowered them. Yeah. So I care way more about empowering a person to say, give me an equation. I learned how to process this. It doesn't matter what it is, as yeah. opposed to saying, okay, I don't know any of the, you know, tens of thousands or whatever people that are, are listening to this. I don't know what you do, but I can give you the basic fundamental equation that will relate to any situation. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool.
you just made me think of something that I, I hope that we we have some research in the future because there's like a movement, and I believe it started in Sweden. I think a, it's becoming popular where they're building these greenhouse homes. Yeah, greenhouse homes. Cool. So a home inside of a greenhouse. Cool. And so it'd be really interesting to see like a family that was raised in that, and if we had multiple people that we could measure like what what kind of long term effects that that potentially has. I love the idea. I speculate it. that it would make a huge difference. Yeah, uh, everything uh, boosts your immune system. You know the fight and sides off of the plants you're literally creating a little uh hermetic stressor on your immune system that's saying boom, 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 okay bulk up be strong this is very relevant for, for the now if you put yourself into a hyper sanitized sterile environment you begin to die <laughs> your body needs something to wrestle with mm. And so if you're continually just nuking your own natural microbiome and skin biome with all of this stuff that just, okay, just kill it all, kill it all, kill it all. Multiply that. You can do that. You can wage war on yourself for a little bit. Multiply that times a whole cultural shift for years and see what happens with that. As opposed to the people, say, the, the centurions, what do they call the blue zones? Yeah. You know, where there's like, you know, what are they doing? Oh, they're done with salmon. They're in the freaking garden. What's in the garden? A whole lot of dirt. You know, kids that grow up with a dog or around a farm, what does a dog bring into the house? Yeah. Oh, lots of different bacteria and viruses. Oh, and I, I think the contention, allergies. the contention around blue zones is that many people have cherry picked the data to support whatever they're trying to sell. Right. But yeah. there are some things and we've talked about that that are very common and community and being outside is one of the most common themes amongst all of them. Yeah. yeah they, we feel connected. Yeah. The Western medicine model is to isolate the one thing that does all the stuff and we forget about the, the context and the combination yeah. of things, you know, like, oh, that solves pain. That's uh, Let's make aspirin because that's based off the white willow bark. And then we forget that it has all this other stuff in it that prevents things like overdose and actually can be good for you. Whereas if you just take too much aspirin all the time, it can cause yeah. problems and we forget about that. So we, we stopped on four. What's five? The fifth one is nose breathing. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe we didn't even go there. I was like, of course that has to be in there. Dude, talk about one of the most- Breathing in general, but nose breathing with emphasis on nose breathing. Maybe one of the most underrated ones. Uh, man, I, I'm notorious for having a really hard time at night settling my brain down and going to sleep. It just, for some reason, I'm sure I've trained myself this way to work long hours. And because we talk about how important it is to get good rest, it's something that I'm always trying to put all these practices in place to improve that. But sometimes life happens. Sometimes it's a very stressful long day and, you know, a lot's on my mind or I got bombarded with multiple things. And so it really challenges those practices that I've tried to put in place. And some of them are uncontrollable. Like I was still working till 11 o'clock at night. I had nothing I could do about it. Yeah. And my saving grace is the nose breathing or box breathing is what I use before I go to bed. Katrina and I will actually do it together. She believes that she can hear me thinking like she'll, we'll be laying in bed and like, I won't even say anything. We'll be I've been there for probably 20 minutes and I'll get like an elbow. Stop it. I can hear you. Mm. You know, she'll do that to She's me. Sensitive, I yeah, believe it. yeah. Yeah. And then she'll do that to me. And then, you know, if it's, if it's bothering her so much that it's ruining her sleep, she'll say, breathe with me, you know, and then we'll breathe together. And I swear to God, man, that's, it's, uh, it's wild. How, how powerful that, that can be and how impactful it can be. Well, you know, not breathing through the nose changes the structure of your face. Yeah. They actually have shown this. They've done studies where people will purposely block their nose and they, the, the structure of the jaw, the mouth, and the nose actually change. So people with deviated septums, for example, who can't breathe and then they get it fixed, 
It's life-changing for them. And if you look at pictures of them after the procedure, you see some structural changes to the face. Yep. It's, I, I just learned this recently. It's really crazy. Mm. That's why you can tell, uh, I mean, for if you want to go just completely superficial, you know, I don't care about any scientific stuff, chicks will be more attracted to a guy with a chiseled jawline. Mm. Why is that? It's an indication that biologically speaking, that's a high functioning male that could provide. They're probably more testosteronic and they've probably got better sperm count. And they're, they're just, it's like a Tesla versus like an old Civic. No moralistic judgment, anything like that. But there's a difference between a Tesla and a 15 year old Civic. And the Tesla, you get in and you're like, whoa, what was that? It's like, oh, well, the mechanics are pretty on point. You know, everything is sharp. Mm. And so when you're breathing through the nose, uh, I mean, a lot of things will happen. One, naturally, if you want to get into kind of more of like an, like an Eastern type perspective, you're connecting the, the tongue naturally to the roof of the mouth. You know, so if you wanted to get weird, you could say you're, you're completing the, the microcosmic orbit, you know, and mm. so getting into like meridians and all that stuff. It's like connecting this energy channel goes all the way up top of the head, all the way down to the front down the perineum and up the back. And I think from a, you know, for just mechanical Again, nuts and bolts, like lifting heavy stuff perspective, you can get more strength out of that. Calling a thing a microcosmic orbit immediately puts me into like a tinfoil hat <laughs> yeah. kind of like woo category. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting. It just so happens that that is east and west cross the intersection. A lot. Yeah. I don't know if all the time, but I think if you give it enough time, it's pretty close to all the time. It's wisdom. It's all wisdom. And there's truths in all of them. And sometimes they say it differently, yeah. but they're saying the same thing oftentimes. And there's different approaches. And I think it's a, a huge disservice to yourself to just stick to one, just like with exercise. I'm only going to do this one method yep. and I'm going to ignore all these others. Huge disservice. And so the, so with more, more facial structure stuff, so your facial muscles will naturally be kind of pulling you in. You know, so when you are closing your jaw and you're going through and you're breathing with the nose, especially like growing up as a, as a baby, if you just kind of allow that just like lock, slack, jaw, yeah. you literally start to cave in on yourself. Mm. Like you need to, you need to create some internal pressure. You need to push out in order to grow into a strong body. And so that person that's continually just ugh, slack jaw, you know, breathing through their mouth, you're, they're missing out on filtering the air. They're missing out on changing the temperature of the air to be more, you know, ready to be actually assimilated. They're missing out on the production of nitric oxide. So they're, now they're missing out on cardiovascular function. Well, now ED, erectile dysfunction. If I'm going to go out and get a supplement, maybe I'll go get beet juice or something in order to increase nitric oxide. Well, you realize that you naturally, just through tapping into your own innate mechanics, you can produce this stuff just by walking through a room and breathing see, right. See, now you're selling it. I love it. Yeah. You, want, you want boners? Breathe through your nose. Dude, seriously. All that stuff is legit. <laughs> it, all comes, it's, it's all comes back to evolution, man. Totally. Everything that we're doing, it all comes back to a bunch of animals trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to eat. We're trying to get laid. And we're trying to create shelter. We're trying to perpetuate the species. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. I wanted to send a special thanks to people for leaving reviews on iTunes. And I want to read a review. If you want to leave us a review, there's a good chance I will read it on here. This comes from Safety Pants. They give us a five star. They says, sweet spot. I'm a huge podcast listener and I'm constantly looking for subscribing and removing boring podcasts. Aaron gets to that sweet spot where the podcast is entertaining, informative, light, deep, interesting, engaging, and informative. 
Another element of sweet spot is that if you are a neophyte or have a well-established fitness practice, this podcast is for you. Highly recommended exclamation point. Thank you. Safety pants. I uh, appreciate you guys doing that. If you enjoyed this conversation, leave us reviews. It's super helpful. And you could also share on Instagram. You share with me at Align Podcast, A-L-I-G-M Podcast on the gram. You could also share with Mind Pump Media. They are at Mind Pump Media. Uh, also, Mind Pump Sal, Mind Pump Justin, Mind Pump Adam, tag one, tag all, whatever. Just share the stuff out. And uh, if you think it's supportive, you think you could help your friends, let them know about it. Be a good friend. Let them know. Finally, if you want to learn some fundamental breathing practices, breath is the foundation of your life. It's the foundation of your energy levels, foundation of your sleep, foundation of your strength. I highly recommend you jump on to the simple masterclass that I created for you. Go to alignpodcast.com slash masterclass, or you could also go to the Align Podcast Instagram page and find the link in the bio. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next week for part two of this fascinating conversation with some of the raddest trainers you will ever come across. Mind Pump Media. All right, see you guys. Bye.